0: Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life.
1: We've been talking in the book of Acts about uh, move of God, sustaining a move of God. We've been talking about the things that God is doing and he is moving so powerfully in the church. And I've said it over and over again that it's just every single day uh, we're hearing stories of what God did, who God healed, what he, how he's working. And uh, I think it's important for people to hear about that, to know that it's happening. And so if you don't mind, what I'd like to do is just kind of give you a rough cut of something we're going to share on Sunday. So here's a few testimonies of what God's doing at James River.
2: Several weeks ago, um, I went forward for prayer, and God
1: completely healed my shoulder. I started developing pain in my shoulder. While I was at work, from all the lifting that I would do, it started to get more painful. I couldn't
0: sleep
2: very well. I'd wake up because it would hurt. I couldn't do things at home because I couldn't raise my arms very high. One Sunday, I felt like the Lord was telling me to go down for prayer.
1: And so I went forward and two women prayed for me. The one on my left put her hand on my left shoulder. And as soon as she touched my shoulder, I could feel this warm heat in my shoulder. Pastor John asked if you believe that God healed you to raise your hands? And my arms just shot up and I felt no pain. And
2: it was like so amazing because it had been going on for so long. I heard God and I obeyed Him and He healed me.
3: A few weeks ago during Sunday service, God totally healed my knee and my back. 22 years ago, I was in a really bad car accident that left me permanently damaged in my left knee. Uh, My left knee would cause me a lot of pain constantly. Uh, I had to do a lot of things with a brace on. I was left with no feeling uh, about mid-neck down to mid-lower back. During the end of service, Pastor John pointed to the stadium seating and said, somebody that was injured in a car accident that had their left leg hurt, healing is coming. Um, At that point, I knew that was for me. After the service, I noticed that I didn't have pain anymore. I went down to the altar and I talked with one of the pastors and he wanted me to test to see if I had any pain, so he had me do some squats. I was able to do them without pain. Go down, come back up uh, with no problem. Several times. (laughs) So after 22 years of being in constant pain with my knee and no feeling in my back, I'm totally healed.
2: A few weeks ago, I was watching the online campus and God completely healed my baby. At our 20-week scan to make sure everything was good and growing correctly with, with our baby, it was discovered that there was a hole in the baby's heart. This was really devastating. I've actually lost a friend as an adult who was born with the same flaw. While attending church online, Pastor John called for a prayer for healing. So I left the room and spoke with one of the pastors on the phone and prayed for this child to be healed. And during that prayer, the baby just started moving wildly. I had no doubt that God was healing my baby in that moment. So shortly after we went to our follow-up appointment to have the baby's heart checked with a specialist, they couldn't find a hole at all. It was completely gone. The baby's heart was completely healed and exactly as it should have been.
0: I was experiencing uh, shooting pain in the arches of both of my feet, and at a Wednesday night prayer service, the Lord completely healed me. I remember it it was a Monday night. I was outside playing soccer with my son and chasing the dog around, and all of a sudden I got a shooting pain that stopped me in my tracks. It was in the right arch of my foot and figured out that it was plantar fasciitis, which is just pain in the arch of your foot. And then uh, the same shooting pain happened in the left arch of my foot. So now I had shooting pain in both of my feet. I was limping around. It was unrelenting. It was all I could think about the entire time. Uh, Tuesday, fast forward, then we get to Wednesday, I'm at the prayer service and pastor on the stage says, if you need healing right now, uh, raise your hand. I raised my hand in faith, people gathered around and prayed for me and during the prayer, I didn't really feel anything except pain in the arches of both of my feet. Uh, We then sat down for the service after the prayer uh, and uh, the pastor spoke and then it was when I was walking to pick up the kids after church, that I realized that I had no more pain in either arch of my foot. And I'm sure it looked pretty ridiculous because I was running in the hallway and jumping and lunging, trying to cause some kind of pain in the arch of one of my feet, but I couldn't get them to hurt because the Lord had completely healed me in that moment. And still to this day, that was more than three weeks ago, zero pain in both my feet, praise the Lord.
4: A few weeks ago, I went up for prayer at James River West and God totally healed me. I was in a car accident that, that really devastated me. I ended up with post-concussion syndrome. I had uh, debilitating headaches. Went to the eye doctor and they prescribed prism glasses to help my balance because they said I had damage to my vision center. And I went to multiple doctors. They really said, we've done all we can for you. We've given you all the medication that's possible. I went up for prayer on a Sunday morning at James River West for healing, and they prayed over me. They laid hands on me and prayed for me, and uh, God just just absolutely healed me. All the things that doctors could not do, He did in a moment. I went back to the doctor because my glasses were bothering me, um, and the doctor examined me and said, you know, your, your vision center is repaired. You don't need these anymore. That's why they're hurting. God has completely healed me.
5: On Sunday, Pastor John asked us to stand if we wanted to be healed. I stood and my shoulder was completely healed. Last week, I hurt my shoulder as we were helping uh, my kids move into their new apartment. And I had was getting out of my truck and uh, I had pushed on an item and I had felt my shoulder rip and strain. And as that day wore on, the pain was increasing so much that there was so many things that I was struggling to do to where I couldn't even lift my shoulder, I couldn't bend my elbow, uh, I couldn't even button my pants. It proceeded for the next day to where by that uh, Saturday night, we were looking at going to the hospital. So on Sunday morning, we went down for prayer in the normal prayer time and uh, prayed for my shoulder. And I didn't experience a healing at that point. In the middle of Pastor John's sermon, he began a point where miracles follow boldness. And uh, when he had finished that point, he had asked everybody to stand who was not healed at the normal prayer time. And the Lord prompted me and said, you need to stand. I proceeded to stand. And at that time, I felt this cruelness come over me and my shoulder and I, I, I knew my shoulder was healed and I'm able to now move my hand above my head and my shoulder and be pain free. And I've been pain free ever since then.
1: Come on, let's bless the Lord. Lord, we praise you. Lord, there's no one like you. We give you praise and glory and honor. You are working in power. Praise your name, Lord. Amen. Amen, you may be seated. Isn't that exciting? And, I'm, and you know, the thing is, today during our meeting uh, with the students, Monday during our Pastoral Prayer Day meeting, testimonies so many testimonies uh, that you know, or even beyond what you're seeing there. God is at work. God is moving. God is healing. And he's touching his people. But it's, it's not just the healing. He's saving people. He is filling people full of the Holy Spirit. He is, uh, people are getting baptized. They're, they're God is just working in so many fantastic ways. So we are in a season of extraordinary grace where God is at work. And in light of that, I think the one thing that that I've thought a lot about, talked about it somewhat in our message in Acts is just simply our part relative to God's moving. Because God is moving, yes. But we have a responsibility to make sure that as we're in this season of an extraordinary grace, honestly, if you're new, I've never seen anything like this in all my time at James River or any other place where I've ever served as a pastor. It's a, it is a sovereign move of God that honestly, we, we were just simply asking for more of the Lord and had been doing that since last fall. And God is, is working and answering that prayer in ways that are really beyond anything we would have imagined. But that being the case, he is moving. And so what I'd like to do in the next few moments, we gonna take a lot of time because we want to pray and be in the presence of the Lord, but I want to share with you a few scriptures, talk to you about what you and I can do to make sure we, we make the most of the season that we're in. In Matthew chapter 11 and verse 20, Jesus began to denounce the towns where he had done so many of his miracles because they hadn't repented of their sins and turned to God. What sorrow awaits you, Chorazin and Bethsaida, for if the miracles I did in you had been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, their people would have repented of their sins long ago, clothing themselves in burlap and throwing ashes on their heads to show their remorse. I tell you Tyre and Sidon will be better off on judgment day than you. And you people of Capernaum will you be honored in heaven and and really when you're we're, we're reading here from the New Living Translation which which is a dynamic equivalent translation. So what they're doing is rather than saying, okay, here's the Greek word, here's the English word for that, they're taking what the Greek says and they're putting it because sometimes the Greek, the way it's structured, the syntax or the sentence structure is awkward, hard to read, maybe a bit hard to understand. So scholars will, it will be a group of scholars who will talk about the way we translate this is this but it's not necessarily literal. So sometimes you can read in the New Living Translation or the NIV, both of them are dynamic equivalents. You can read things that, that maybe there could be in the Greek a, a different understanding. Literally, the New uh, King James Version says, "'And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven.'" In other words, I think a very legitimate translation of that verse is what the new King James does with it. What it's saying is that when Jesus was in Capernaum, it was almost as if it was heaven on earth. Because of the number of miracles he did, the signs, the wonders, remember he comes to Peter's house. Peter lives in Capernaum, and and that becomes his adopted hometown. And and as he's there at Peter's house, Peter's mother-in-law is sick with a fever, and Jesus rebukes the fever. She gets up, feeds him a meal, and that night, the, the people in the town are coming to his doorstep, and he's casting out demons, and they're coming out of people with loud shrieks. And the Bible says, everyone who was there, he healed them so the most some of the most dynamic miracles we read in the Bible happened at Capernaum Jairus's daughter raised from the dead at Capernaum the woman who reached out and touched the hem of his garment as Jesus was on his way to Jairus's house that's Capernaum so Capernaum saw a lot of miracles But look at what he says, no, you'll go down to the palace of the dead, for if the miracles I did and you had been done in wicked Sodom, it would still be here today. I tell you, even Sodom will be better off on judgment day than you. Here's what I think is important to note in that passage. So you could go to Capernaum today, you could go to Bethsaida today, you could go to Chorazim today, and all of those towns are essentially ruins. Nobody lives there. You see, what happens is when people encounter, I think it's a living illustration of a spiritual reality that when people encounter the presence of the living God and the best they can do is muster an appreciation for miracles without a changing or an adjusting of their life, Ultimately, it leads to spiritual ruin. Their problem was they applauded the miracles. Oh, they loved the miracles. It was like, do more. We're, we're loving this. We like seeing this. But it didn't change the way they lived. They saw God move, but it didn't change the way they walked with God. They saw God work, but it didn't change anything about God's work in them. You see, a lot of people enjoy a move of God, but they don't repent. That is, they don't change their thinking. It doesn't cause them to draw closer to God. It's business as usual. In a word, do you know what it really is? Religion. They're religious. They view it as a religious circumstance, a religious event, a part of their religion. But what God wants from us is relationship. What he wants is interaction. What he wants is you and I drawing close to him. And the fact of the matter is we're either getting closer and closer to the Lord or we're getting farther and farther, but nobody stays in the same place. There's something about a visitation of the Lord that requires us of us a recognition that it is a season of visitation and an interaction with the Lord that says, God, in light of what you're doing around me, what is it that you are wanting to do in me? In light of your move in the place that I'm a part of, how is it that I need to move? What is it that I need to do to move closer to you? to be with you more. Listen, let me me set your heart at ease. I'm not suggesting you go lock yourself in a closet 24 hours a day. I'm I'm not looking to turn anybody into a weirdo. (laughs) But I am suggesting that for every one of us, as God is moving in this place, a part of the purpose of it is to bring us to a greater depth and dependence and relationship on him. And if that doesn't happen in this time in your life, then you have missed an incredible opportunity. And you're really in many respects like the people of Capernaum. Because ultimately what happens when God is moving, it demands a response from us. And if we don't respond by growing closer We end up being a witness to something that doesn't change us, and the end result is ultimately it produces a hardness in our heart. That's what happened at Capernaum. Applaud the miracles. Way to go, Jesus. That was, hey, did you see, hey, Jesus, Jesus cast the demon out oh, that's nothing. You should have seen when he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, in fact, there she goes. It's a danger when when we applaud the miracles of God, which we ought to do, but when we don't go further and appropriate personally the fact that he is in our midst, how much better if the people would have looked to him for who he really was and walked closer to him. But they didn't. So the question is how do you and I position ourselves so that we're in in the direction of moving closer to God, deeper in God, growing in God. And I wanna, this is not, this is not too deep, this is very, very simple. We could say a lot of things, but I just wanna give you a few simple things that I think make a massive difference in how we approach God during this season. Let me, let me just encourage you, the worst thing in the world that could happen to any of us is to become evaluators of a move of God, become uh, critics of a move of God, become cynics in the midst of a move of God, or become sarcastic in a move of God or simply to be a passive spectator in what God, God is moving in this place and God wants to use what's happening here to draw you closer to him because he's demonstrating the reality of who he is and his presence, not only in this place, but what he desires in your life. When we talk about drawing closer to God, I think there are some things we have to settle in our heart. I think there are some things that will help us if we can come to a place where by settling in our heart, what I mean is we come to a place where we meditate. I'm going to give you four things that we would meditate on so that it moves from our head to our heart and becomes convictionally a part of how we view life, period because we can know truth in our heart or in our head and even have a recognition of it in our heart, but some things have to become a conviction for us to really be lived out in our life. And they will anchor us in the midst of a move of God and will anchor us as we walk with the Lord and will take us deeper in God. Number one, settle in your heart that God is good. Settle in your heart, God is good. Because the fact of the matter is, in any move of God, there's going to be a lot of things we don't understand. And that can the lack of understanding is the result, not of God being arbitrary, but of us seeing through a glass darkly. We cannot see clearly. There are some things we don't understand. There are some ways of God's working that that are different than we might prefer, or we might imagine, or we, heaven forbid, would call God to account and say, that's not right, he should have done it this way. We have to settle in our heart that God is good, and he's good all the time. And that God, because here's the way it works. Let's take Ethan's testimony for a moment. So Ethan, he stands up, he prays, he is asking God to heal him, but when he sits down, it hasn't happened. When he walks out of the service, he is thinking nothing has happened until he gets out in the atrium and all of a sudden realizes, no, really, something did happen. That, that sometimes there are, there are things in God's timing and the way God is working and, and we don't understand. And in that moment, it's critical that rather than drawing conclusions that are incorrect, we default to the conviction of God is good. I don't understand everything. I don't know why some things haven't happened yet, but I know this, I know God is good. Or somebody passes away, and all of a sudden, the enemy wants you to question to say, "Well, it's not true. Well, God didn't come true. Well, how come this happened, or that happened? if God loved? Why would? etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And the place we have to determine we're going to land is, God is a good God, and He does good. It's one of his theological attributes that that he is good, which means he does the greatest good for the greatest number of people for the longest period of time. He is good. Some. 119, 68, you are good and you do good. Settle it in your heart, God is good, he does good, he desires to do good, he longs to do good. Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 18, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. God is looking for an opportunity to do good in your life. He desires it, he longs for it, he's watching for it it says he rises to show you compassion that means he gets excited about it he's like oh come on watch this he's a good god desires to do good for people jeremiah 29 and verse 11 for i know the plans i have for you declares the lord plans to prosper you not to harm you plans to give you hope and a future why he's a good god he does good he has good plans. He's good. If we want to know what Jesus or what God is like, all we have to do is look at Jesus. And in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, Peter preaching says, and you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good why? Because God is good and he does good. That's why Jesus did good. He went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. God is good and he does good. Can I just say the miraculous will happen much more readily in your life if you will rest in the fact, and not only rest in it, but embrace it. Think about it. Talk about it. Remind yourself of it. You are good, and you do good. You're a good God. He's too kind to be cruel, and he's too wise to make a mistake. And the fact you and I can not understand some things, we have to at some point decide the framework and the bedrock of our faith is gonna be, we serve a God who is good and he does good. Settle it in your heart. It'll make it so much easier to pray for people. But honestly, if you, if you veer off of that, then your life's gonna be filled with questions. Your life's gonna be filled, and questions aren't bad, but, but too many questions, dissipates faith there are some situations for which there are no answers and so what you have to do at some point you have to say i believe in a good god who does good and it instantly gives you a fresh perspective and faith to pray for his goodness in the lives of people amen number two settle in your heart that nothing is impossible with god nothing is impossible now listen there's a difference between having the conviction nothing is impossible with god and the thought well i know god can do anything he wants that doesn't really help anybody it takes zero faith to say that well i know god can do anything he wants to do like (laughs) who knows what he wants to do on the other hand when you say I believe nothing is impossible with God. Whenever you face a challenge, whenever you encounter somebody with a need and you instantly know nothing is impossible with God, it changes how you pray. It changes how you think. It changes how you look at the situation. It changes your faith. Nothing is impossible with God. Settle it in your heart. Nothing is impossible with God. God is able to do absolutely anything and does. Jeremiah 32, verse 17. Jeremiah says, ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. God, you made the heavens. You did all of that by your great power. If you can do that, I can't think of anything you can't do here. I can't think of anything as hard as that. Nothing is too difficult for you. Mark chapter nine. The father said to Jesus, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus says, if you can, I mean, come on. You know, the nice thing is Jesus is sympathetic. But at the same time, Jesus is very clear. This whole idea of if you can, are you kidding me? If I can, if I want to, if I, if I have any power at all, help me. Listen, Jesus says, everything is possible for him who believes. Everything. How many things? Everything. What, what situation could you encounter that wouldn't be covered by that? Everything is possible for him who believes. Luke chapter 1, verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. Settle it in your heart that nothing is impossible for God. The biggest need, the biggest illness, the biggest medical problem, the biggest financial problem, the biggest biggest problem at work, the biggest relational problem, nothing is impossible for God. Settle it in your heart. He can do anything and he does. This is an interesting verse, we've talked about it. In the Greek, it's for nothing will be impossible with any rhema from God. Rhema is a a word of God spoken specifically to your situation. So what happens is, for example, if it's a a word of knowledge that's given in, like we had earlier in the service, for the person with PTSD from a childhood trauma, in that word is the power to work the miracle. In that specific word is the power to heal that that gentleman's left leg and his back. In the word itself is the power to do that. Listen, there are gonna be times when you're walking with God, when God's gonna put in your heart something that that he wants to do in somebody's life, and you're gonna know instantly, and as you speak the word of God that he's put in your heart for that situation, in speaking the word, there is power in the word to accomplish accomplish the impossible." Yes. It gives you great confidence. It, it builds your faith. It, it, it is, it's wonderful to know when what God speaks, he empowers to happen. Every promise is embedded with power. We talked on Sunday about the name of Jesus, and I I know that caused a lot of discussion for people, but let's just read it again. John chapter 14, verse 13. And I will do whatever you ask in my name. That is is a very comprehensive statement. If it appeared one time, we could say, well, you know, Jesus says that once, but he doesn't say it again. I don't know, do we really wanna build a doctrine? I'm not there, I'm not saying I would be there, but I know people could be there. But what's interesting about this is he says it not once, he says it five times. The Bible says, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let a fact be established. In other words, if Jesus says something once, we know it's true. If he says it's twice, it's like, hey, I don't want you to miss this because this is really, really true and, and will really help you. If he says it three times, it's like, man, this is like a law of the universe. This is how I've set the thing up. If he says it five times, it's like, hello, I will do whatever you ask in my name you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. John 15, you did not choose me, I chose you. The Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. John 16, in that day you'll no longer ask me anything, I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Verse 24, until now you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you'll receive, and what will happen? Your joy will be made full. You'll be like, oh, wow, I serve a God who answers prayer. He does the impossible. He's a God who, when I ask in the name of Jesus, does the miraculous. Settle it in your heart that God does the impossible.